This episode is sponsored by the Breath in the Clay Creative Arts Organization. If you're looking for a place to foster your creativity and be inspired by the works of incredible artists from around the world, I'd like to invite you to join us in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, March 22nd through 24th. See the show notes of this episode to learn more. Relationships form the heartbeat of community life. The way we interact, the way we understand one another and hold space for the differences between us determines the quality and depth of our societies. As we continue our season's exploration of community and culture in the life of the artist, I thought a fascinating angle would be to take a closer look at how we cultivate health in our most intimate relationships and then asking, can these same dynamics serve us on a larger cultural level? My guest today is relationship expert and author, Krista Hardin. Krista is the host of the popular Enneagram and Marriage podcast. She's been working with and researching marriage for two decades, providing hope for couples who are struggling to find their light, love, and mission together in any season of relationship. In our conversation, Krista unpacks some of the ways she's helped couples foster a deeper understanding of one another through utilizing the Enneagram and her years of research and practice. Krista talks with me about our social instincts and how we can move toward finding common ground with those who may see life a bit differently than ourselves. I'm your host, Stephen Roach, and this is the Makers and Mystics podcast, the podcast for the art-driven seekers of truth and lovers of life. Krista, thank you so much for joining me today on the Makers and Mystics podcast. What an absolute joy it is to have this conversation with you. Thank you so much for having me, Stephen. This is an honor. I love your podcast, and this is just cool to be here. So thanks, guys. This is wonderful. Yeah, I am an avid fan of your work also, and I'm just going to take this as maybe some free therapy, maybe uh, maybe some marital relational advice that I just get to, to pick your brain about. <laughs> Absolutely. That's what I do all day. So I'd love to go there if that's where we land. Yes. Well, you know, one thing I love about your specific take on this with being Enneagram in relationships, Enneagram in marriage, is that it focuses on the space between people. It focuses on yeah. the way that those different dynamics interact and intersect with one another. Mm-hmm. It's not only helping us discern some of our own motivations, mm-hmm. but it's also helping us learn how we interact with other people. Mm-hmm. And so I have two threads that I want to chase down with you today. One being, you know, my definition of creativity mm-hmm. is bringing different elements together in the same space yes. and then discovering what new thing is born from those interactions. Wow. And when I think of creativity in those terms, and then I turn that to the work you're doing, mm-hmm. what you're doing is helping people discover their own creativity through understanding their own motivations and how these different temperaments work together. So I don't know, has anybody ever said that to you before about the the creativity being 
differing things coming together. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's at the heart of what I love to bring out to couples and individuals, because as you can imagine, people come in hurting and you don't want them to stay there. Although, you know, lament is part of life and every artist knows that. Um, but you want them to also have some understanding of uh, not just their shadows, but the light they cast together and the way their specific nuances uh, have attracted one another, as well as create a new light together that no one has ever seen because it's unique even within their Enneagram uh, type. They have all their overlays of culture and such. And so it is so beautiful to see couples not only, you know, find their soothing together and their uh, sexual attraction, et cetera, but to see them lift off and to share in the community and their unique vision. It is so cool. Um, so I love to do yes. that with individuals too, but I love that you already think of that when you think of creativity and the way it shapes with community. Yes. Well, you know, for me, it even comes through the lens of poetry or mm. the lens of music, which are the two art forms that I'm most mm. accustomed to. Yeah. Because when I, for instance, as a musician, I've always been an experimentalist. I like the idea of bringing an Appalachian banjo together mm. with a Japanese koto or, you know, these instruments together that you don't often see. Yeah bring them into a common context and then discover something completely new. And mm. this second thread, before I get too deep into that, yeah. the second thread that I do want to chase down with you, this season on the podcast, we're talking about community and culture. And how I'm relating that back to your work with the Enneagram and marriage is because, you know, community begins in the individual then it grows into the the relationship and then it grows to the family and then it grows to the larger community mm -hmm. and then from there we blossom out into culture so it's almost like i want to drill down to the heart level of why understanding how we can leave room for the other what this social instinct tends to be and how that plays out differently for us. But mm. why don't we start here? Talk to me a bit about your work in bringing together different temperaments and how you help people to find a common ground between folks that might see life very differently, which in marriage tends to be the case a lot of times, right? <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. About 80% of people, it feels like really they land with a differing instinct spouse. So somebody who either, in other words, loves that first part you mentioned, that self-preserving where we have to get our own refreshment. Uh, then they might mate with somebody who is, uh, you know, somebody who's the sexual instinct where they're just like the one-to-one, -one, the depth, the creating, the merging is just where I'm at. Or they might mate with somebody who's got more of the social instinct quality that we just talked about where the desire is to project out and to share in community and groups most. And what's so fascinating about couples is not only do they find the different instinct person usually, but they also resist change into this instinct. And so it's so funny wow. that we seek it out. Uh, and of mm -hmm. course, what we are attracted to later attacks us sort of, as my friend would say. But it's really interesting that you brought that up because 
you nailed it. We need all three and you nailed the order that we need them in and that I teach. We need the self-preserving, then we need the one-to-one sexual, then we need the family, and then we can really share so much uh, more elegantly in the culture. So that's so cool mm-hmm. that you named that. But yeah, we do find people wow. and it's hard to it's hard to be around somebody who's so survived so drastically different than us. So that creates a lot of conflict. Yeah. Well, I think you just described the first 17 or 18 years of my marriage, maybe. (laughs) So I'll give you, I'll give you a clue, you know, so my wife is a seven. Okay. Okay. And so uh, she's a seven, of course, I'm being the four. And, you know, I grew up very individualistic. In fact, I, I tell people maybe not so jokingly sometimes that I'm a recovering radical individualist, mm-hmm. you know, and I've had to do a lot of, maybe you would call it shadow work. I've mm-hmm. had to do a lot of shadow work mm-hmm. in that. And I've had to do a lot of work figuring out the difference between a healthy individuality yeah. and then a toxic individualism. Mm-hmm. And so that's some mm-hmm. of the things that I've had to work yeah. out personally yeah. so that I can help my wife thrive and us yeah. not be in a space of conflict. But mm. talk to me some about how you find pathways forward for folks mm-hmm. who do come with different instincts that maybe that was what attracted them at first, but then, like you said, later on, it can feel like it attacks one another. Mm-hmm. And then how can we move through that to come to a space of mutual respect? And I know for me, I had to, I had to figure out that her needs were not a threat mm-hmm. to me, but that we could yeah. actually flourish if we gave room for the beauty of one another's differing expressions. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Help me out. <laughs> yeah, I love that you named that. You've done a lot of work, I can tell. And um, I think that a lot of couples um, and individuals, they don't know about this piece. And so all they know is it hurts and it feels unsafe. Um, and so a lot of their art is born out of the the dire straits of the pain of not being understood. And of course, we know there's beauty even from that absolutely. And poetry from that. I've written a lot of poetry from that space. That's just for me. But it's also powerful when, like you said, we start to see our marriages as less of the hero villain narrative and much more as we're with the walking wounded, if you want to use that narrative. Um, But if we go scientific here, we can say we all have the fundamental attribution error, that we all experience this sense of I'm a little bit healthier than them. And when I have stress, it's because of uh, you know the things going on with me. I'm tired or I'm wounded or traumatized. And what's happening with them is they're just a jerk. <laughs> you know, They're just mean. <laughs> they're not as healthy. Wait, that's not right. That's not true. <laughs> they're just so selfish. <laughs> so um, yeah. but when we can kind of understand this is a human quality, we all do. Uh, we come back around to the generous spirit of like, okay, I guess I can hold compassion for you. I'm seeing some of my own stuff now too. And also making sense of these instincts helps quite a bit to just hear for listeners to hear us say, you know, get in touch with each of these instincts and remember them all like you're important to refresh. When you and your spouse both do that, there's a lot of health that comes from paying attention to, especially as an artist, you know, health and fitness and coming back into the embodiment of who we are. 
Um, and then also really paying attention, getting back into the routine of even like date nights after the kids go to sleep, um, even just silly relaxed ones. And then coming back into the social instinct of maybe we have a lot of church hurt or um, we've been othered. What can we do socially in our own ways and in our own comfort, even if it's different from each other, that will help us both to once again thrive here? So some of it can be done separately from your partner. Some of the work is important to do together because as you can imagine, even if we got all these instincts aligned on a track, it could be two parallel lines. So I do try to help couples to merge and and right there in that sexual instinct, that's a great spot for it too. Yes, absolutely. Well, you know, one thing that comes to mind as I hear you talking about that and talking about the different instincts, I know that for me, as someone that would identify as an Enneagram 4, mm-hmm. I recharge in solitude. Yeah. I recharge, you know, when I can get away from that social space and I can just have time to explore a book or to play the piano or just whatever it may be. Whereas I know for someone, and I'm, I'm just speaking from my experience, you know, in our marriage, you know, Sarah's instinct would be she gets recharged around the right people when yeah. she's with family or with friends that yeah. really, you know, how do you navigate that with the couples that you work with when they do have these differing instincts? Yeah. How do you help them get to that common space? Well, I think after we discover that the person we're married to um, has that different you know, space that they inhabit that makes them feel safe, we realize that they are built and wired in a way that we can't change. And I think that most of the time in the first years of marriage, we work so hard at argumentation and we really think that we're right and that we're going to bring them into the truth. And when we understand these instincts, instead we realize they're living in a way that allows them to thrive and we start to become more excited for them. And instead of being more selfish, we really celebrate that for them. We also, mm-hmm. however, have to do some healthy differentiating there where we realize, A, we we need all the instincts and we all need all three and they can even have little nuances within the three. But we also really don't have to be exactly the same with our survival. So that helps too when you and your wife for instance, you and Sarah could say, you know what, like she's going to go recharge in this way and I am going to recharge in this way. And she's learned not to shame me for it. And I've learned not to get angry with her about or resentful with her and go into my melancholy as a four about how she's doing this. Uh, Instead, we're telling (laughs) healthier internal scripts, right? Yes. (laughs) I love that. Healthier internal scripts. I think that is, that's a key on so many levels. We could even lean into that for a minute, but healthy internal scripts. I know that even apart from the relational dynamic, that's something that I've had to cultivate Mm -hmm. in my own life because, you know, I do tend to be a dreamer. I also do feel things extremely Mm. deeply on that deep level, you know, um, everything, it's very incarnational for me. And I know a lot of people, probably a lot of people uh, that listen to the Makers and Mystics podcast would have a similar temperament. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. sometimes our gifts and our strengths can also be our weaknesses and our challenges, two sides of that same coin. Mm -hmm. I wonder for those who are gifted with 
you know, extra sensibilities, the artistic temperament for people that that feel things really deeply. Mm-hmm. How do you help them navigate healthy internal scripts and then as well to move out in a posture of health in their relationships? Mm. You know, there is an element of faith there that has to come in, and it doesn't have to be if you're somebody who's deconstructed and doesn't have an exact faith, that's okay. But there has to be an element of, I'm willing to espouse just a bit of healthy risk. So it takes a bit mm. of courage to do any of the steps I'm going to say. But um, but the first step, I think, is probably the most natural for the artist, and that is lament. And I, because mm-hmm. I share a deep thread of uh, this piece as well, I always bring my audience through it, even if it's not them, because I tend to believe they need a bit of lament, even if they don't do it. Um, But I love to start with lament um, on a daily basis. Uh, Just, I know most people start with gratitude, um, but I like Mm -hmm. to start with like, let's just go there. Um, So first getting everyone here to just acknowledge like life is hard. It's scary. Sometimes we wake up and we just, all the, you know, all the radars are up. And so just acknowledging the loss, the sorrow, the melancholy that lives within us when we're really looking at the stark realities of life. I remember G.K. Chesterton said at one point, you know, people um, can't really even tolerate how, you know, real and hard and beautiful life can be. So many artists live right there on that fringe and do feel it. And so to first let it be that, let it be that we are allowed to cry out uh, internally, externally, on paper, um, morning pages, whatever your practice is to start mm. doing it. Um, many of us have the laments, we don't even get them out. Um, so just to really allow yourself to that space, even if it's a walk and talk or a ride in the car, um, something in solitude, even if like you said, that for you feels comfortable, but for another person listening, even an artist listening might say, that's not a comfortable space for me to stay for very long. So for them, it might be just five minutes there. Um, Then I try to move people into gratitude from there because many of my clients often say to me, you know, I'm scared to go there because how will I ever get out? And how will I ever tell a healthy internal narrative? But I think that both pieces can be healthy. So acknowledging the deep feelings, the losses, um, it may become a prayer for some of us. Um, Then coming into gratitude uh, intentionally, this is emotional agility. It's not just toxic positivity. Um, It's a sense of I can do both. I can acknowledge my losses and sorrows as well as know that there are pieces of my life where I'm privileged and I'm grateful for those pieces. And we might even bring in practices of wonder here. Um, We might activate all areas of the brain here with music like you do and really allow that coming out of that lament with some activation to get our positive hormones going. That's healthy and there's a lot of brain science that tells us that we need that in order to have neurogenesis. The last piece I do involves when you said, now, how do we get moving? And that is a lot of people in the withdrawing space, the fours, the fives, the nines, or anyone here who's a listener who just feels like sometimes it's hard to get up and going. It's just important to, this is where that faith and courage comes in, is to know the research will guide you here. Even if you don't feel like it, just often a five-minute workout, you know, five minutes on the clock, just a walk. Any movement will help you to embody your life instead of just being a head on a stick or a heart in angst and pain. Others of you might try a visual piece instead of a doing, but these are the pieces that I really try to bring every day to myself, to my practice, to my kids, to my husband when any of us are struggling. Give me an example of a visual piece. 
One I did this week um, was I rather dramatically <laughs> pictured <laughs> hearts being splayed all over the ground. Um, it's just that I literally went to the four chambers of the heart and I was like, let's think about, you know, this is with uh, one of my groups that I'm doing a marriage practice with, like all the ways that your heart has been torn out, all the ways it's been broken into pieces and all of, uh, you know, just the losses. And, and let's look at them. Let's squarely look at your heart laid out. Now, I want everybody to, and you listeners could do this too if you want, taking some deep breaths so you don't get overwhelmed, but allowing yourself the acknowledgement of both sitting with that as well as the, the practice of how have you picked it up? How have others helped you to pick up these pieces? Um, maybe even bringing a bit of the physics in as well, knowing that energy can be neither created or destroyed. How have these, even the small pieces that you thought would never come back, how are these even being picked up? And you might even have a visual where you allow yourself the grace of seeing those who have come alongside you and attended to you in hard moments. And that's neat because you get that awareness again of like, I have, for many of us, I have mended and healed, but I have acknowledged it or allowed myself to sit in it. And if there is still a gaping wound, you can also allow yourself to notice that and to, to allow yourself to ask what might be helpful to, to continue to attend to my heart's wound. Mm -hmm. But I think this is a great practice because before, like you said, Stephen, we can go to the social giving. Sometimes we need to really picture like, how has the healing taken place and, and what healing still needs to be done before I can really feel like I can give out from my best place. Just thinking about healing on an individual level, you know, a few seasons back on the podcast, we did an entire season focused on mental, emotional, and spiritual health for the artist. We did a season on restoration for the heart of the artist and, um, you know, Moving forward from there, mm -hmm. especially on the heels of 2020, the pandemic, everything that we've kind of walked out over the past few years, yeah. we're coming into a space of healing mm -hmm. in our own individual hearts, hopefully acknowledging the need for healing. I think we're just now starting to see like, whoa, there was a lot of, a lot went on here. Mm -hmm. But as we engage kind of healing that interior narrative that you talked about. And as we begin doing the work in our relationships, I begin to think about the work that you do and how that would translate on a societal level. And at the beginning of our conversation, you made the comment about when we bring healthy change to our marriage, into our intimate relationships, it's not always welcome because it can be so unfamiliar. Yeah. You know, and I begin to think about that just on a cultural level, on a societal level. I think it translates there very easily, but that there is a lot of work that I hope and I want to help foster through the creative community to help bring healing, to help bring understanding, to help bring a bit of that creative reconciliation that we talked about where we're bringing two differing elements into the same mm -hmm. space leaving room for the other yeah talk to me a bit about how you see your work with the enneagram in relationships how can we translate that on a broader scale well at first, we have to do, as we mentioned, um, this acknowledgement of when I start to get healthy, everyone in my system, whether it be a spouse or a child or an in-law, um, 
a friend that you're very close to, they might not understand the work. And so instead of pushing them or leaving them out, I want to encourage everybody to start bringing as gently as possible. And here's another word for it, inviting others into that work with you. I can get very lost in my uh, sort of Jonah-ish presentation where I'm like, I did all this work and I don't want this person who's traumatized me to be any part of that. And I think that it's important important that we allow ourselves to be expansive enough to at least see, even if the faith narrative is a place of struggle, that the world is better when everybody is healthy. And so we're only hurting ourselves when we try to keep our growth to ourselves. And it's not as big of growth when we can't share it. So to just invite each of us to say, the more I'm courageous enough to share and to teach others the boundaries. Um, I know my husband and I recently did that work with some extended family, and it was really painful to let go of the resentment and to invite them into growth with us and to even set some boundaries that needed to be set at the same time. Um, I think that's Uh a great place to start with our extended communities is most of us will either do one thing or the other, just ignore it and have full grace and let people walk all over our boundaries, uh, especially as artists, like, oh, I understand, you know, but then there's this other tendency, like when we are splayed out on the ground or the heart is open, (laughs) we're going to shut down at some point and not be able to continue. And so, What I have enjoyed doing instead, and I'm learning to do this instead, is to offer both grace and truth. And that truth might be, I have this much tolerance for you today, (laughs) you know, and I will spend two hours with this extended family member that is hard and has not done their work. But you know what? I love them. And in that two hours, I'm going to be as much of a model of the mirror neurons that come from joy or as much of, um, you know, teaching them as much as I can without being this sagacious person who can't relate. And it's nice. It's it's been beautiful to see people respect our boundaries, to see people want change for themselves. And I feel like that's the beginning answer to your question is bringing societal change through just our first sort of communities versus like, I'm going to go change the whole world all at once. Right. Oh, it's so good. You know, Something comes to mind as I hear you talking about healing and doing our own work as individuals. And I said this to someone else that I was talking to earlier today, but it just makes me think that, oh, well, I'll, I'll share a personal story. In, in my own journey, there was a time when I was actually a bit afraid of my own healing mm. because mm-hmm. I had begun to rely upon that pain as my creative outlet, as my creative Mm -hmm. inspiration. I had begun to rely upon that dark place as a place of a twisted sense of safety or familiarity. And I just began to think that sometimes we can hold on to unhealthy attachments in our lives, in our internal narratives, even in our relationships, Mm -hmm. because our pain is that familiar place of comfort. Mm -hmm. And as we're talking about bringing healthy change and how sometimes that's not welcome in relationships at first, if someone has done the work, (laughs) I think that's something I'd love to hear you speak into a bit because we often don't think about our pain or a place of unhealth as being something that we want to hold on to because we, I think everybody wants to grow and be healed. But at the same time, I know for me, because it was so entwined with my creative sensibilities, Mm -hmm. it took a lot of time and work to figure out that 
a healed version of Stephen didn't mean that I had to write Hallmark cards. Yes. <laughs> that my my art could still have depth. Mm. You know, yeah. I don't know. What does yeah. that make you think? Well, it makes me think of how awesome it is that we're in the space where you can do that work and I can do this work and some of the listeners can do this work and how it's a place of privilege that a lot of others don't have. Mm. And so I think what can help us is to realize when I don't forget my depths, which we don't want you to forget, we do want you to have that ability, like you said, to rise up and to heal from trauma, not just for neurogenesis, but just for life and for joy. It's also I think a way that we can still stay close to the pain is to remember so many people live in that space today. And that is something we must never forget is that others every day carry this pain. So when we can relate to them and go there with them and say like, I've been there, or sometimes I still go there. I have my dark days. I mourn. I grieve too. They really feel comforted. Um, And it's not just misery loving company. It's a sense of really being able to hold sorrow together and to have that emotional agility that we talked about of being able to still wrestle and to still allow for the lament and things that are wrong about this world. Um, So I don't think we have to leave it, but I love what you said about how we also don't have to hold it as to be the top loyalty in our lives, that we can allow some reverence for the wonder and the beauty and the joy too, which I think is great about Mm. the breath and the clay and all you're doing here at the Makers and the Mystics because you do allow for that paradox of both. So I think you're doing it. That's beautiful to hear mirrored back to me. I love that. Well, I want to ask you a practical question because you've used a couple of terms that might be new to some of our listeners. And so I just want to make sure we can carry them along in the conversation. But tell me first, what is neurogenesis? That means that we're allowing new brain cells to grow. And that's something we've learned. Um, one of my friends, Dr. Chrissy Thomas out of Toronto, you can follow her on Instagram. She is awesome. And she really reminds us through her beautiful work um, in neuroscience that we, even as older individuals, can grow new brain cells. And we're always thinking of you know, just neuroplasticity and change, but she's reminding us you can actually continue to grow, but you have to have some of that. I know we talked about you having some three in you. And Dr. Christie's a three. And so for those who aren't familiar with that, threes are achievers and they try to actively do and be positive whenever possible. And we need some of that ability to say, I'm going to keep learning and growing and being more expansive because we can allow for health in our lives um, and have healthy hormones kick in when we get our body work and start to choose to learn and to think uh, healthily. So even as much as we must stay loyal to our lament, we also really need this too for neurogenesis or new brain cell growth. Okay. So the next word you, well, term, you mentioned emotional agility. What does emotional agility mean? It means that you're able to self-soothe after you've had a conflict with your spouse or when you've become dysregulated. And even when I say dysregulated, just any part of you that feels like it's off kilter. That's a normal experience. We might start out the day well. Maybe we've even done the lamenting and the gratitudes and then we head into traffic and we're late to a meeting. And once, you know, once again, we're dysregulated and it's 
probably not always time to step into lament again. <laughs> it's probably time to do some healthy self-soothing and to become aware of, you know, here's what's going on. I'm going to offer myself as much grace as I can, allow for the experiences to be what they are. I feel tense. I feel upset. I feel angry. Um, and allowing in for some, like I said, healthy self-soothing practices. So it's an yeah. acknowledgement of what's really happening as well as an awareness of uh, there are a few things I can do. Um, and of course, we can shift, but offering grace and taking some deep breaths are usually some great ways to start that. That's really helpful for me because I, I think part of my journey of growth over the past several years has been learning how to feel the fullness of my emotion without getting stuck there or without being controlled by it. And that's that's actually been a very challenging lesson that I've been learning, but I think I've made some strides in it, you know? Um, I'd have to get my wife to, to say yeah. whether I have or not, but, <laughs> yeah. but you know, I, you know, but that's, um, but that's something, I think that developing that emotional agility, I think that's something important for yes. all of us and also especially for the artistic temperament to, to be able to, mm -hmm. to feel the fullness without being yeah. owned by it. Yes. Yeah. And breathing helps breath work just allows our bodies to remember this is not an emergency. It's hard, but I'm strong and I can survive. And that's what we talked about earlier too with internal scripts to be able to say to ourselves, you're going to be okay and you're going to get grace and you're not going to be shamed. Maybe you were as a kid. Maybe it wasn't always okay, but you are surviving and you'll figure out a way to do this and you have support now as you increase your healthy support system. And I think that's a process. So sometimes we have to shift who is our support system. But as we continue to find community, as you're helping us this season to do so, that gets easier because we can imagine ourselves as you're saying, here I am stuck in lament, but I can imagine myself meeting with my friend tomorrow and how nice that's going to be to to be understood for a little while. And just to to know that we have people who love us, like you said, even our spouses who are like, you're such a stinker. No, you're not healthy, you know, but they still yes. love us. So it, yeah. it's, it's, we tolerate each other and that makes us, um, it makes us loving and real because sometimes it's not easy, but we still love each other when it's hard. Yes, that's good. Well, Krista, this is an incredible conversation. I feel like I could talk with you for another four hours about all this. I'm really enjoying the conversation, but I'd love to bring it around to begin to close it. But I'd love to ask if there was just a couple of things that our listeners could put into practice today. Let's just say for those that are following the creative path and, and they're in a marriage you know, that has some challenges or if they're in a societal situation where, you know, maybe they feel isolated or disconnected. What are some things you would recommend that we could begin doing today to foster healing in our own hearts and to foster healing in our relationships and hopefully grow into a healthier way of life? What what would you say to that? That's a great question, Stephen. And I would start with just reminding everyone you deserve to have a relational window of tolerance, meaning that you deserve healthy basics in your life so that you can relate better, which means you're attending to your sleep. And I know that can be hard for artists. So whatever 
sleep and rest patterns that feel reasonable to you, that you can't even have good conflict when your batteries are depleted. So to just give yourself the grace, maybe today isn't the day because I worked on a project till 3 a.m. and I'm not really with it today. And to just own that and to allow yourself to, especially if you're in a long-term relationship of any kind, to, to do the work maybe later this week, but not all at once when you're in disarray. The other piece of that is, as I said, trying to get that rest and trying to get healthy food, trying to get healthy exercise fitness so that you have this basis, this foundation for doing what you need to do well um, in your work and in your home life both. That is something you deserve. And I think that a lot of people don't know that and they just move out the door in the morning without attending to water and food and basics. And they don't save a five-minute rest for themselves because there's a sense of, as I said, the self-pres instinct taking over, like, I have to do it all now. Um, And so just allowing the breath work, allowing yourself to get this care, and then allowing yourself, as I said earlier, to, to remember that everyone has a different neurobiology. Everyone has a different story with their personality and their traumas. So remembering that fundamental attribution error, hey, I have a propensity to to think I'm healthier than everyone. Let me show love and compassion and grace. And also I think that that comes with the boundaries I mentioned too, is when we have this difficult person in our lives, even if we recognize we can be difficult too at times, we have to feel safe enough to relate. And that means setting the boundaries, but also allowing them into our lives where we feel that would be safe. And of course, there's going to be a few people we decide they don't get in at all. But the ones that really are in our community that we want to affect, it's important to say, you know, I have this much availability for them. And even if they're calling me nonstop, texting me nonstop, I'm going to relate to them when I'm ready. And I actually think fours are really good models for this because you guys often take your time. And I think more of us could learn from you taking your time and letting things be deep and real and meaningful versus rushing just to sort of check a box that really doesn't even get checked well when we don't do that. So um, yeah, you guys add to that too. Wow. Well, Krista, this has been an absolutely amazing conversation. I'm so glad that we got to sit down and talk and tell us before we go, and I'll make sure that I put these in the show notes as well, but where can people find you and keep up with your work? Mm, thank you, Stephen. This has been so cool. Um, I would say my favorite two more artistic spaces are Instagram at Enneagram and Marriage, and also on my Substack uh, of Light and Joy. And I also have a book that you can find in a podcast under my website, which is enneagramandmarriage.com. And I do a lot of work there, but where I really get to tend to the artistry is in these other two spaces that I mentioned. Beautiful. Well, thanks so much for being with us today. And I hope we get to talk again soon. You too. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This episode was produced by me, Stephen Roach, with music by Somewhere at Sea. If you've been inspired by this podcast and would like to dive deeper into these conversations, please consider becoming a monthly patron at patreon.com slash makersandmystics. For as little as $10 a month, you can invest in your own creativity and join our crew of artists and seekers from around the world. Be sure to see the show notes of this episode for links to Krista's work and for details on the Breath in the Clay Creative Arts Gathering in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. We'll see you again next week. And until then, keep creating. The world needs your art.